So last week we spoke about the verse Vinosati Esav Bisodcholivhemtecha, and I shall give grass in the fields for your in your field for the animals, the Ochaltovasavata, and you shall eat and you shall be satisfied. And especially that you shall eat and you shall be satisfied, there were several different angles on that. One is that it's a bracha. You eat and you're satisfied. Even if you eat a small amount, the food in you will satisfy you. That's a bracha. It's, so to speak, a, yet another bracha, in addition to the rain in the right time, and in addition to all the harvest, and in addition to plenty for the animals, that even a small amount will satisfy you. There was also an element of, of command to that. Eat and be satisfied. Learn to satisfy yourself with a smaller amount, separate from whether there's the bracha that will actually, that Hashem will like expand the food within you, that by allowing ourselves to keep a space unfilled, this is what leaves room to fill ourselves with your Hashemayim. And really, it's Hashem who is providing for us, Hashem who is sustaining us. This was the lesson of the Mun. We discussed that at length in the Parsha Shir last, last year, I guess, but it wasn't really a year ago, about the Mun, where um, the Mun is described in Devarim. Laman hodiach, Hashem made you hungry, and he caused you to suffer from lack of food, and then he brought you the man, leman hodiyacha, in order to inform you, to make you know for real, ki loal halechem levado adam, that not on bread alone can a man live, ki al but rather on whatever comes out of the mouth of God, meaning whatever God speaks, creates to fill you, is what will fill you. It doesn't have to be bread. When the people saw man, they didn't know what it was. How could this answer their need for food? It's like some kind of flaky, crusty, jewel-looking dew. <laughs> it doesn't seem like something that would satisfy them. And yet, God says it will satisfy. It will satisfy. It takes it yet another step. It's the word of God is what satisfies. That's the Yerah Shemayim. Right? The Yerah Hashem is what actually satisfies us. Yes, of course, we're obligated to eat food. That's how Hashem sends us this the nutrition and the nourishment for the most part. But he doesn't absolutely require that. I'm just going to remove this. Keep on making noises. Okay. So there were all these different elements. And, and Rav Schwab had an unbelievable kind of putting the pieces together and realizing that, and, and explaining that by holding back in our eating, we, leave, we not only leave room for Yerushalayim, but this is the only way to grow in Yerushalayim, and in fact to crave it in the same way we might crave food. Good morning, Mommy. You look a little shell-shocked. <laughs> sort of a... That was Kelsey. That's what that face meant. Who's that? Okay. And this can allow us to grow and, and crave more closeness to Hashem in a cycle. And that overeating, oversatisfying our bodies would have the opposite effect. It will, it will push down the Yetzir Tov. And it will also... Encourage the Yetzirah. So there was this sort of 
two-sided aspect to it, which he says this is why, for the most part, people don't tend to know that they have a real Yetzer Tov, because thank God we live in times of plenty, so we just don't realize. Okay, so somebody sent this. You know how these things go around. There's like little funny pictures and things. So this one came around yesterday, and it's got the, the girl saying, sometimes all you need is a really good cup of coffee and $5 million, <laughs> which is like, okay, funny, right. So then I stopped, and I, I just, you know, okay, well, what's funny about that? And then thinking, well, what is that really saying? Like, if all I had was a cup of coffee and $5 million, then... I'd be happy. I'd be satisfied. Now, the truth is, we know that a person really wouldn't be satisfied. <laughs> because Shlomo Hamel says a person has 100, he wants 200. You have 200, you want 400. It's not, it's not like when you have, now you're satisfied and you don't need more. But, but without going there, let's say it were true. Let's say, really, if you had the cup of, a really good cup of coffee and $5 million, it would be all you need for your body to feel perfectly satisfied, for your cravings, your, your sense of chesaron, that there's something missing, to be perfectly satisfied, that you have no needs unmet. The name for that is death. That's when our body is... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it's okay. You drink your coffee. <laughs> truth hits. Wham. <laughs> Yeah, that's death. The body's needs, the body has no needs. Everything is satisfied. There's no craving for something more. That's death. You start to see how the pieces fit together. Like for me, it was so funny seeing this sort of somebody being amusing on Facebook and coming to understand, no, oh, this is a piece of that puzzle that Rav Schwab put together. The Yetzirah is associated with death, right? The Yetzirah is what leads us to crave that which is self-destructive. That's self-destructive. Now, the truth is, living people, when they have 100, they want 200. They aren't satisfied. And we always think of that as, oh, how awful we are, right? We're so crazy. Well, that's a sign of life. At least it's alive. When you're craving more, when you feel you have unmet needs, it, unmet needs, <laughs> you are alive. There's a battle going on. And therefore, so, so we have to know, look, if I want 100, I'm still going to want 200, meaning I won't be satisfied. So it's not really about the good cup of coffee and the $5 million. If I had $5 million, that wouldn't be enough either. So there's no point. Like, why should I chase after the $5 million? That's not what's going to satisfy me. This, and, and this, at this point, what I'm about to say is a little bit of a tangent. It ties into a lot of other topics we covered in the Dominic year, and it came up yesterday, and that's why I want to say it here, because it is... The logical extension from this, pain is a sign of life. Chisaron is a sign of life because a finite physical existence, by definition, will have chisaron, lack. And Rav Schwab pointed out, Yir'uz Hashem Kedoshav ki ein machsor lirayav. It's only in the fear of God, which is the spiritual aspect, that a person could not feel chisaron. So I would like to propose a chiddush. Yeah, I know. It's a catchy one. It's not that it's such a big chiddush, but it's catchy, and that's why I'm going to share it, because it's easy to see the word and remember. 
which is the difference, and this is, this is really based on an idea, I'm not just making it up out of completely nowhere, based on a shear that I first heard from Rabbi Rubenstein, Rabbi YY. Afterward, I heard Rabbi Tat say something similar, and it's based on, on a medrash, Kotz Vidardar, right? That Hashem says you'll, you'll try and plant, and you'll come up with, with Kotz, thorns. Uh, thorns and Dardar, and you have there the, the Dalit and the Resh. And this idea came up, we talked about it with Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad, and how we're careful to say the Dalid, so that it won't look like a Resh, a Cher, a different one. Echad, the only one and infinite. The difference between Chaser and Chesed is that same small difference. It's a little Yud shape that's attached to a Resh that makes it look like a Dalid. If we see in our lives that there is Chaser, that I feel like Here's what God gave me, it's chaser. It's chaser. This kind of spouse, this kind of job, this kind of parnasa, this kind of house, this kind of car, this kind of child, this is what he's given me and I feel that I'm chaser. I feel that what he's given me is chaser. When I can hear that, and, and I'm sharing this because it's something where we can hear it in our own internal conversation. It, whether, even if we don't say it's not fair, but the feeling it's not enough, I need more, this isn't what I wanted it to be, then what's missing is I don't see the Yud. I don't see Hashem's presence in it. I don't, I don't see the Yira, the Yira Shemayim. What fills in a feeling of Chaser is Yira Shemayim, which means fear of heaven and also seeing heaven, recognizing, seeing it. Bahar Hashem Yiroi, right? On this mountain, God will be seen. And then it's chesed. In other words, when we see chaser, what we really are seeing is chesed, just we can't see that's what it is because we're not seeing the, present, the, the process of God in it. This is something that's easy to see in the word chaser, and it comes up because we see it in benching. Every time we bench, whether it's a borin efashos rabos vechesronan, or in the long benching, tamid lo chaser lanu lanu, we see it in these places, and we see the word chesed. So it's something that's easy to tie back into our actual internal conversation and say, hang on, I'm feeling chaser. <laughs> oh, wait a minute, what I'm feeling here is chaser. What that means is I need to remind myself that I don't understand everything that's been given. And the piece that's missing is the Yerushalayim. So that's where I need to turn to. I need to turn to saying, and there's a lot of ways to think about it, right? We have already a lot of tools for it. So one is, I feel chaser, Hashem, you fill me up. I think I need it in this way, a really good cup of coffee and $5 million, because I feel that I'm needy. But but you know best how to fill me up. So please do that. I don't know which way is, but this is what I'm thinking. <laughs> Here's what I'm thinking. But please provide what I actually need, even if it's not the way that I realize I need it, because maybe I don't understand. I'll share an example with you that's really a, a sneak preview into the Shabbos year for this week. Um, I'm, not gonna, I'm not gonna go get the source, but it was really, really a very insightful um, article by Sarah Hanna Radcliffe. Somebody wrote in uh, an older single and she said, what should I do? You know, people tell me I should settle. I should realize people aren't perfect. She says, if, and she talks about how settling, this is a very bad way to start a relationship. <laughs> it's, you know, I'm doing you a favor or I don't really think you're so great. I and mean, this is not the way to start a relationship, you don't settle. 
So however, there is something to be said for a different process, which is, and let's say as an example, a girl says, I really only want to marry somebody who's at least six feet tall. All right. So if she's going to marry someone shorter, she's going to feel like she's settled. But what about saying, why is it important to me to marry someone who's six feet tall? What does that mean to me? And then to, you might come to discover, well, what that means to me is I feel safe. I feel like there's somebody bigger than me who can take care of things, somebody who will, who will be my hero and help me, and you right? Maybe that's what's important to me. Well, that, that you could experience that not only by height. There's other ways that a person might behave. I mean, by the way, the person who's tall may not actually be there for you. So. <laughs> then you wouldn't have what you were looking for, because the height itself doesn't actually. Right? So by exploring what it represents and what the actual need is, you can open yourself up to looking for that which actually provides for the real need. And then when you marry someone who's five foot four instead of six feet tall, you didn't settle. You got what you wanted. It's just that before you hadn't realized what you wanted because you were using like a proxy. So sometimes we have to say, Hashem, here's what I think I need, but please provide what I do need. Not, I'm, just, I'm trying to be clear because sometimes we say, look, here's what I think I need. Hashem, provide what I really need because you know that what I think I need is really bad for me. That's not what I'm saying, even though that would also be right, a right, true right. and appropriate way of thinking about it. To say, I think I need $5 million, and you know that that would corrupt me or my children, and so you're doing me a favor by not giving it to me. This is a different aspect. This is, I think I need $5 million because I think I need to feel financial security. And instead, you're going to send me you know, a series of very small class action settlement checks. Or you're going to send me a harder job that provides better financial security. Or you're going to have something happen that makes me realize that my sense of security doesn't depend on the finances. Or you're going to help me you know, put away $10 a month, and over time that will provide the long-term Whatever, there's so many ways that you could provide for that need. It doesn't have to be the way I think it is, which is winning a lottery ticket or whatever, right? So this is, these are different tools to help think of it. And one of them is to say, I feel that there's a need here. Since, but really, let me tell myself intellectually, well, if I see chaser, it means I'm missing a piece of chesed. I'm missing a little corner of it. What am I missing? The yud. If I feel an empty space when I eat and I leave an empty space, I eat enough to, to be what I require. But I still feel that I want more. The more that I want is really closeness to Hashem. And then ein machsor reav. I won't feel that there's something lacking. So Hashem, here's the situation you gave me. I'm going to say to myself, this is really chesed. I just can't see it. There's a space. There's a gap between me and you, between me and feeling satisfied. And the feeling of satisfaction will really be you. That's what will give me a feeling of satisfaction. When I feel that, so now I'm going to turn to you. And maybe even if I don't know how to get closer, just to ask you for that, to say, Hashem, please provide me with your closeness so that I won't feel empty. And then I will come to see that the situation that I thought was chaser was chesed. Because if Hashem had filled me up and had given me everything I thought I needed or wanted, 
there wouldn't be the room to be filled up with the Yerushalayim, God forbid, and I would actually be much farther from him and much farther from feeling satisfied than I do. So in fact, Hashem might have done me a chesed. You know, if I can't restrain myself when I eat, so maybe Hashem did me a chesed by providing only a, l a little less than what I thought I needed. So that by default, I will have to turn to him and I will be filled up with the Yerushalayim because I wouldn't have known to stop. I wouldn't have known to stop trying to earn that money. So if I will have that little bit less, now he'll fill it in with his chesed. Right? So he did me a chesed by providing for me what I would really want if I was looking at the Yerushalayim, but I might not have realized, and I might have just binged. And then I wouldn't, I wouldn't know that, that, that there's that space there. And this ties back to the idea of prayer altogether, of prayer as the ladder between the earth and heaven, or a bridge between us and Hashem where there's a gap. The gap is pain. The gap is chisaron. That's the sign of life. When we feel that we still need more, 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 that's because we're alive. So instead of feeling this is unhealthy, this is bad, I feel I need more. This is a bad situation. I have to fix it. That's really how we feel, right? Yeah. This is bad. I have to fix it. It's got, or you have to fix it. Somebody's got to fix it. Right? If instead I say, wait a minute, that's a sign of life. It means there's a gap between me and Hashem. Right here is where I need to build the bridge. Because Hashem is the source of everything. Therefore, if I feel that there's a gap, I feel that there's a pain, I feel that there's a distance, I feel there's something missing, it means right here is where I build the bridge and reach it out toward Hashem. Do you see how these are all different facets of the same idea? But each one is a useful tool in actual practice and the fact that there's, like, and I'm sure you all discover your own, you know, little variations on how that plays out in your own personal language or your own personal experiences. But these are different ways that just in a short time I found that these are really useful, and really useful practical <laughs> approach based on that. You look like you were going to say something. After that. Okay. Amazing. <laughs> that is amazing. I wasn't being sarcastic. <laughs> okay. So here's how we see that play out. All of that is the transition. You shall eat and you shall be satisfied with all the different layers that means. He shamru lachem. Guard yourselves. Pen levavchem. Lest your heart be, let's call it, swayed, persuaded. Visartem and you go astray, va'avadatem Elohim acherim, and you serve other gods, ve'hishtachavisam lahem, and bow down to them. So with all of this background in ve'ochalta ve'savata, you can understand what the Mephorshim have as the really million-dollar question here, five-million-dollar question, <laughs> right? The coffee question. Mm -hmm. Why did I jump from ve'ochalta ve'savata to hishamru I think it's, for us, that's pretty obvious now. Hishamrulachem, guard yourselves. Why? Because ve'ochalta ve'savata. I just told you, I'm going to give you rain. I'm going to give you harvest. You'll have plenty. You'll have animals that will have plenty. You'll eat. You'll be satisfied. That is the moment, hishamrulachem, you must watch out. Because having plenty 
is a blessing, but it's a blessing that quickly can turn to to rot. Yeah. Okay. So here's how Rav Schwab puts it, based on the ideas that we already learned from him. This Pasuk warns us that once we have achieved satiation of our earthly needs, as a result of living in Eretz Yisrael amid God's abundant blessings, danger lurks not far behind. So long as a person controls his earthly desires and does not fully satiate them, there's still room within him for Yerash Shemayim. But watch yourself, Hishamulachem, that your heart not be tempted. Unless one curbs his animal desires and does not fully satiate them, there is a real danger that he will be subverted by illicit temptation. A person who is fully satiated with earthly pleasures has no room for Yerash Shemayim. So in this danger, there is also the cure. When you have plenty, hold it back. You don't have to finish everything on the plate, in contrast to what your grandmother might have told you. There's holding back from the, even from the blessing God gave you, being able to say, I'll have just a little less than what I could have in any area, right? This is, it's not just food. Food is an easy example because it's so easy to eat thoughtlessly. But it applies to everything. It can apply to shopping. It can apply to, think about when we build a house, we leave a space to remember the horban, unpainted. Mm-hmm. But you want it perfect, right? Being able to say, I'll do a little less than what I might have done. I'll, I'll buy something a little less expensive than I might have bought. That's not natural in an American society that keeps saying, you deserve it. Oh my goodness, I was driving from carpool to this shear this morning, and I had Waze. So I turn on Waze before I was driving, and it sometimes will pop up advertisements based on your location. This is one way that they make money. So when you're driving, you don't see them. Fortunately, they don't call attention to themselves. That would be a problem, right? But this was, I was still at the curb, and I look down, and it says, Audi A3, satisfy your craving now. And I'm thinking, wow, what a society. Like, there probably will be somebody who will, and it, there's, you know, you just push, take me there, and it will switch your directions to take you to the advertiser. So usually it's some kind of, like, fast food restaurant or something like that. In this case, thinking, like, wow, what a society, right? A society where I could just say, oh, my gosh, Audi A3, that sounds amazing. Yeah, I could do that. I could pull that off. That's, like, this is the opposite extreme. Sorry? Is that a car? It's a car. Yeah. I guess. I mean, I don't know which one it is. That's what that said. I mean, I believe it. You know, there must be one. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> being able to say, yeah, being able to, but let's say you were really shopping for a car. Right? So you have to, so to us, that seems like so ridiculous. But people would look at us and say the things we do are so yeah, ridiculous, yeah, right? Yeah. So outrageous that, you know, ooh, oh, wouldn't it be nice to just get that other one? It's like just a little nicer. And being able to say, no, this one is enough. This fulfills what I require. That's enough. Let alone maybe a little less than I think I require. But let's, this fills the, the purpose that we need. We don't need to do more than that. Which, again, back to what we talked about last week, puts a very positive spin on something that we think of as self-denial. Which makes it, di- right? Because denying yourself can feel very negative. Unless you're, you have a compulsive side to your personality, which many people do. You don't have to be obsessive compulsive to sort of get a certain satisfaction from denying yourself. But 
but generally speaking, something negative like that. I have to hold back. I have to deny myself. So even if you can manage it and, and you say, okay, that's gvura, that's strength, that's power, there's kedusha, but it, cannot, it can be something you don't look forward to. Disciplining yourself is not necessarily something you look forward to. You sort of suffer through it. But if you can tell yourself there's an amazing reward, and it's not, we're not talking about like in the next world, and I mean, we are probably, but I'm talking about right now. I'll feel more satisfied. Here's an amazing opportunity for me to develop your Shemayim. What a treat to look forward to. Wouldn't that be amazing to crave good in the way that I crave bad? Then it's kind of like an exciting thing to try and do. All right. So, pen yifte levavchem. Lest your heart be, I said, persuaded. This one says seduced. Seduced. That's a much racier translation. <laughs> but it makes the point. But a seduction is a more of an emotional thing. And that, and yeah. Persuasion is more That's true. So definitely the emotional side is more of an issue here. So there's a couple of connections. One of which... I'd like to make, and I didn't see anybody else bring this up, although I suspect eventually I'll find where it ties together fully, is this word yifte is related also to pas, bread, like a, a little bit of bread, also known in Talmudic language as pita, which doesn't have to be a round bread <laughs> with pocket. It means just a small amount of bread. Um, and it comes up, the reason I realize this is because it comes up in this Parsha, right? Avraham says, uh, last week's Parsha, Avraham said to the Malachim, I'll take a pas lechem, which is understood to mean a small amount of bread, because we say here, Avraham said little and did a lot, and satisfy your hearts. I'll give you a little bit of bread and you'll be satisfied. And there's many, there, and Rashi says there's three places in Torah and Nevi'im and Ksuvim that we see that pita sadatog deliva. Pita, bread, satisfies the heart. This is the idea, lecha misad levavenosh, bread satisfied. But I think that there's another element here. Pita is also always defined by these mefarshim as a little bit of bread, not a lot. A little bit will satisfy your heart. A little bit of bread satisfy the heart. Guard yourself, lest your heart be persuaded by the bread, like to want more. That just a little bit isn't enough. Rav Hirsch, and this is something we actually read in Parshas Noach, when we read the bit from Rav Hirsch on Shem, Ham, and Yefes, Noach's children. Yefes, Yefet, that's Pita, Yifte. It's the same word. So he says over there, it designates feelings. Remember he said about Yefes was like the appeal to the romantic, the beautiful, the aesthetic, the graceful. And that was a step up from just going with the physical passions. It designates feelings being open to all external impressions and influences. So he's saying pay self is also the root of liftoach, to open. Right? It's, that's just a, a much stronger version. Here, pes, hence pesi. So peti is one who is easily talked over and deceived. Somebody who's like gull, gullible, sort of. You can, you can convince them of anything. Pitom, suddenly. It means something that our mind is open to. We don't have our defenses up. 
because it's unexpected. Yaft elokim liyefes, God will, he translates that as he will open up for yefes, he will open up his heart to make him responsive to feelings. Hmm. A person's closed off from feelings, that aesthetic sense that, you know, the novels, the plays, the music, the architecture, that aesthetic sense is an opening of the heart to be moved by that, hmm. opening of the mind to be moved by it. But the Torah here is warning us, because for a child of shame, that's a step down. That's a big step down. Because when you're in, in the middle level of Yefes, you can go either way, right? You can go more towards Cham, depending where you're coming from. Or it can be a bridge that takes you up to shame. It can go either way. So apparently the cure for that is the control. To enjoy that which is beautiful and allow it to elevate your sense of what is pleasure. Does pleasure have to be actual physical gratification or can your pleasure be something that's of a more ethereal and moving nature, purposeful nature, but you have to put a limit to it because on its own, it will take you in the wrong direction by itself. So it's supposed to, in order to turn that into a bridge to bring you by appreciating that, you can learn to appreciate even a truly spiritual beauty and pleasure. So that's a root to it. All right. All of this comes back around to an interesting thing. We had lech lecha me'artzecha. We said, that's go for your own sake. You remember we gave two, actually, Rav Tzadok had an interesting go to yourself. Go to who you really can be. And also, go for your sake. That makes perfect sense. For your own sake, guard yourself. Because if you want to have this blessing and enjoy it, you have to guard yourself. You have to hold back a little bit. Without that, you won't even enjoy the blessing that you have. Plus, it'll lead to other things. And Rav Hirsch puts it like, since the prosperity of the land is dependent on your moral behavior, then he shamru lachem. Take care of yourselves, be on guard, and then he takes it another step. Not just take care of yourself like for your own benefit, your own pleasure, which is the, the usual sort of like the orachayim on lech lecha, right? Lech lecha no'asecha. Go to your own, it'll be your own pleasure for your own benefit. He takes another step. He shamru lachem. Beware of every influence that would estrange yourselves from what you were meant to be. Guard yourself. Guard who you can be. Guard who you are. You have a purpose. You have a mission. You were created to be a certain person. You have to protect that self that you can be. That lech lecha that you're supposed to be headed for. It needs to be protected. The discipline of mitzvot, and this is the, this is the core element of the Hayaim Shamoa, is that the discipline of mitzvot is what keeps us on the right track. Because our emotions ebb and flow. Ruach, it, it blows, it's stronger, it's weaker, it's north, it's south. It's only through our actions the doing of the mitzvot that we lock down the veil. 
to feel that way is the passion. We have to arouse that, and then we got to lock it down with action. Sometimes it feels like a come down when you make that plan, when you're feeling so elevated. You just want to stay in that moment of inspiration. And then to sort of let your brain start talking and saying, okay, how am I going to hang on to this? What little thing can I do that will, that will lock in this moment of inspiration and turn it into something eternal? It's like, bam, you came down into practicality and it feels like such a letdown. If you don't do it, in any case, that moment of inspiration will dissolve and dissipate. And then you have nothing. So you have something that's real. You created something in your mind. It's not that it isn't real. But you have only that moment. Now that moment may be eternal as well if it's something you worked on. It's the working on it that's what makes it eternal. So that's like Rabbi Ruham Lavavitz, I think, talked yeah, about that, right? With also, the davening. Also, also the, the moment of inspiration is given by Hashem. And uh, going down and trying to hold or translate is self-generated, which is what? Self-generated. It doesn't always have that uplifted feeling. Right. You know, when you say, wow, that Yom Kippur, I'm in this amazing Yom Kippur, Ne'ila Shmona Esrei, and then the shofar blows. You kind of just want to stay in that glow. Mm -hmm. But if you really want to make it last forever and keep some element of that elevated state you were in, even when your emotions will go somewhere else, which almost doesn't seem like possible at that moment, that you could ever come down from it. It's so real at that moment. Then you say, okay, so I'm going to be more careful to wash my hands in the morning. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to not check my mail, my email, before I wash my hands in the morning. Or I'm going to not, yeah, strange as that sounds, if you sleep with a phone in your bed, you might. Might. This is a well-known issue, right? I had somebody told me, he said, I'm going to not check my email before I dive in. So if you don't realize what's, what's normal in the world, that doesn't sound so impressive, right? That's actually a degree, that's a huge degree of self-control. Now, is that going to make the person feel super inspired each time he does it? Maybe, maybe not. Probably not. But over time, that's a change that will be made inside of him that came from the inspiration. And now he's moved to a new level. And that, that is sort of the definition of making small changes that will last over the long term. The ideal is when you make them from a point of inspiration. And now it goes on, because it rekindles the memory of that inspiration as you go. I only got to one I didn't have to worry about. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll be careful not to talk before I wash my hands, which may or may not be practical, depending how old your kids are, right? I'm saying this, you know, and it could even be a halakhic thing. I'll be careful not to touch my eyes before I wash my hands, which is just plain halakha. It doesn't, that could also be... You know, if you weren't so careful about that, that's also being careful. Okay. Um, hmm. I'm thinking this is the Nitziv, and now I'm not sure. What did I do? Did I again not write a source? This may be the Nitziv. How is it possible? Pretty sure I saw this in Harasatvila. I'll have to look it up that a person gets to such a high level of avas Hashem and avodas Hashem with all of his heart. You achieved for, 
ואוהבת את השם אלוקיך בכל לבבך ובכל נפשך ובכל מידיך. How come you're worried that all of a sudden I'm going to go to Avodah Zarah? That seems like a really extreme case, right? And yeah, you could say, oh, look, anyone can end up anywhere, but it's really extreme. Like, shouldn't you just say, be careful because you'll fall to a lower level? You won't maintain it. Like, how, you know, okay, you're going to say maybe over 40 years I'll get there. Like, what's, you're so afraid that a person who gets to this high level of emuna and yira and love is suddenly going to turn around to Ovozar. It says, first of all, that the Torah is warning us of this, that this power of yifte levavre is something that is both so subtle and hidden that it can worm its way in, no matter what level a person is on. And that's why we have to guard ourselves from it. That this is, in fact, something at this kind of level. And he describes it as anything lovely or beautiful that a person can see in the world. Honorable, valuable. This can cause the heart to have this thing called lefatot, to be swayed, to be persuaded, to be turned in some way, to be opened up to thinking it has a value. Whether it's because other people glorify it or because you enjoy it, Look how lovely it is to look at that, right? This play was so uplifting. And then all of a sudden, right, because we're thinking in terms of Yafta looking like Yafes, right? So say Greece, right? It, this is so beautiful. It's so uplifting. And then you see another one, but there's a little something not as, right? But, but it was so moving and it was so beautiful and there's something you could take away from it. And little by little, it comes to have a value of its own, the arts, an education in the arts that has a value of its own. But it, it doesn't. It really, it doesn't. Only as a means to something else. So this is where we have to be so cautious because that, it's exactly through that which is beautiful, honored, and valued of the physical world around us or even the sort of emotional physical world around us that really can, in fact, sway even a heart that is in the right place. And the Nitziv connects it specifically to Yafta Lokim Liyafes, to that, that the culture and the art and... The, the main part of the gallus was they were about to train camp. Yeah. Whoever stayed on track. Yeah, we, were ha I was, we were having a conversation in the family about, and this is nothing really new, but the fact that a lot of women spend a lot of time trying to look beautiful. That's normal. But the definition of beauty has become that which is shown constantly on billboards or in advertisements. Mm -hmm. Often it's not even real beauty, meaning the model herself doesn't really look like that. They've photoshopped it and they've smoothed it and they, you know, an entire team of people doing her hair and makeup. Like it's not, and there's special lighting. <laughs> like it's not, right? That's not even, so... The fact that they want to look beautiful may or may not actually be a problem. It might be appropriate for the developmental stage in life. It might be an aspect of wanting to look beautiful for their husband. I mean, it could come from something really correct. Mm -hmm. But what's the definition now of what beauty is? That's coming outside. That is an element of Yiftel right? Meaning you could be on board with dedicating yourself to Hashem and yet 
the values of that which is beautiful, uplifting, honorable, can come in from outside, creating definitions. You start pursuing those definitions, and you can, in fact, end up anywhere through that route. It's a different route from temptation, from physical lust. It's a different route. It's an aspiration for that which is beautiful, uplifting, and valuable. And I think that is, well, you know what, I'm going to go one more step before I. Okay. So guard yourselves, lest your heart be seduced. That's my problem with seduced, is because it has a more physical suggestion to it, even though it isn't. I think that the point over here is maybe there just isn't a word for that. In English, right, a word for a seduction that isn't physical and isn't like what I said, which was persuaded, which was intellectual. You need something for the heart. In French, it's the heart. Is the heart? Yeah. I think in English, it doesn't mean that anymore. Okay. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe it does. It would almost be like romanced, although I don't yeah. think that word is really used anymore. Mm-hmm. And it would probably be associated with a French person. <laughs> <laughs> The sort of kissing the hand kind of thing, you know. Right. It's a Jane Austen seduction. Visartem and Lassur is to turn directions. Right. So that was, I think we once mentioned this, um, the word Musar, which is, I don't know, reproof or correction, right? It's actually to try and move somebody onto the correct path, to just nudge them so that their path changes. So Basartem is a turn that now your path forward will be divergent from the path you are on. That's sur, to turn. It's not to turn a corner. It's to just a slight shift in direction. But it ends up somewhere else. Visartem, va'avadtem, and you will serve Elohim acherim, other gods or other forces. And bow down to them. Okay. So this is still continuing on this question of, wait a minute, why are you so suddenly concerned? I'm going to jump ship. Here I was doing fine, and now I'm going to, you're afraid that I'm going to jump ship. So Rashi says, Vesartem, lifrosh min ha-Torah, to lifrosh, like to separate yourself. Usually, often we talk precious is like a kind of kedusha, right? You restrain yourself. Lifrosh min ha-Torah, separating yourself or holding back from Torah. That's the definition of vesartem. You turned. In other words, a person is doing the mitzvos. They are living a life following the commandments but they don't learn Torah. Mitoch kach, from this is caused serving other gods. Shekivan she'adam, porish min ha-Torah, 
Now, the way you might read this Rashi, which I think is not the correct way, is because a person turned from Torah or separated from Torah, he goes and, worship and clings to Avodah I It's pretty clear from various commentaries on Rashi that it's kivan, meaning at the moment in which. When kivan, shekivan she'adam parish mina Torah, when a person stops learning Torah, he goes and clings to Avodah Zarah. And so we see that David HaMelech even says, Hashem has uh, divorced me or pushed me away from his Nahala, saying, go worship other idols. And saying, hang on, <laughs> who told him this? Mi okay. Is it possible that God said to David HaMelech, get out of my house and go worship other idols? Even if God had pushed someone away, like he did with Adam Harisha out of Gan Eden. It seems implausible that he would go tell anybody to go worship other gods, right? So what, who's telling this to David? What is he thinking? This is still the Rashi. Since I am pushed away or divorced from being busy learning Torah, I am this close to worshiping other gods. Now, this sounds extreme. We're still bad. We still have then open the question, well, my goodness, why do you think that would happen? How would I go from one to the next so suddenly? But this seems to be what Rashi's saying. Now, the word ligaresh is like to be chased away or pushed away, this word that Rashi used. And that does, I mean, that's, he uses this word because David Amelech uses it, right? What David Amelech is, pro, I, I imagine, saying is something that a person could feel when they do a hate. When you do something that's wrong, you are pushed away from God. You're the one who did the pushing, right? The feeling of being pushed away is a terrible feeling. If a person would feel, I want to learn Torah and I'm not allowed to, no yeshiva will take me. No Rebbe is going to teach me. I'm asking, I'm begging, and I'm being kept away from it, right? That would be a terrible, terrible feeling. And somehow from that, you would think, well, at least you want to do the right, right? You're moving. The feeling of being chased away from it brings a person close to serving other gods. We're going to go on a little bit. The Amek Davar says, Visartem, it's actually true. What hasara, what, what turning, what direction? Kol shehimi anything that's off the path of Torah. The person knows this is what the Torah says is the right way to do things, or this is the learning, right? It's, it's literally that diversion, that turning just a little, the end path literally can go to the most terrible sins, which will be described afterward. You have, uh, well, it's not, it's, it's brought really in the third paragraph, but part of the correction to it is brought in this paragraph, right? Going after... Your eye, your heart, and your eyes. The eyes is immorality. It's not even just the worshiping other gods. I mean, the people can come to the worst in a very short way, and it only takes a small turn to get there. As crazy as that may sound to us, how is it possible? This is sort of historically verified. This is how it is. Okay. Now Rashi was quoting the Sifri, which said. Amar lahem, God is saying to the Jews, He's a harusha lo yit'e eschem yetzer hara. 
be careful that your Yetzer Hara doesn't cause you to err. And then you will separate yourself from Torah because at the moment that a person separates from Torah, he is already walking He is already walking on the path that leads to sticking to a Vodazara. It's That's the path. There's a path that leads to Hashem and there's a path that leads to everything else. And the path that leads to Hashem is the path of learning Torah. I think it's significant that this is coming right after this whole argument of should a person learn Torah all the time or should a person uh, work with Derech Eretz and Torah, right? There was just this argument. Now the truth is that the Chazal came to the conclusion that many were able to succeed by combining Derech Eretz and Torah and many were not able to succeed by just dedicating themselves to Torah, 100%, and letting God provide. But I think it's significant that this Sifri is coming to warn us here in this Pasuk. You have to watch yourself. Because you're taking the, this is the path of Torim Derech Eretz, the gathering in the grain, and, right? You're, you're still working. You have to watch yourself. Because that is where the Yetzirah can easily get a toehold. Because it's not that you're abandoning a life of mitzvos or a life of, of you know, trying to be near God. It's just that your Yetzirah Hara is going to convince you you need more savata right it's what it's you know the sort of slippery slope argument only only Torah saying no hishamulachem there's a way to not slide down it doesn't have to be that once you start working that's it you've become a materialistic person the Torah says doesn't have to be that way but you have to know that it can happen that way that once you start down that path one thing quickly follows after another. You need to work more hours. Now you're not learning Torah at all. Porish Torah. Person's not learning Torah. What do you mean you're not learning Torah, but you're still living a life of minute? Yeah. Because you took a job, and it was four hours a day, and you're going to learn four or eight hours a day also, right? And then so one thing leads to another. you got to work more hours, and you got to work even more hours. And now, you know, you need to also be able to relax afterward because you get pretty stressed out. And then there's some demands of the family. All the bracha that Hashem has given you, the more success, this is, this is the success and the satisfaction leads to more need for that. And all of a sudden, there is no time to learn Torah. Whereas the restraint allows you to receive bracha and to just keep on receiving. And that gap that is the Yerushamayim that satisfies you. So now translate that image to how you structure your daily life. Do I need to work eight hours? That's the, or 10 hours or 12 hours, whatever that number is. That's your sort of full, full time, which is eating everything on the plate, right? Do I need to have 100% or can I hold back and have 80%? Now I've left room with, with my eating or with my taivas, it's leaving room for Yerushalayim. And with my working, it's leaving room for Torah. Makes sense. It's the same image. It's the same pattern. Mm -hmm. When a person leaves the learning Torah completely, now they're on a different path. And they don't know it right at the beginning. Because it seems like things haven't changed. It's a different path, and the Torah is warning us of this. And Rav Hirsch goes farther. He says, what this Sifri tells us is that the slightest deviation from the path is already on the path to Avodah Zarah. And in principle, there's an element of Avodah Zarah in being on the path. 
Now, that's the negative side of something positive. When a person turns towards God, that's the positive side, right? When you turn towards God, you may not be clinging to him yet, but it's already in effect you're clinging to God by turning towards him. You haven't reached him. You know, lead the vok is to stick, like you've got to be right there. It's not. It's the vok with Hashem is when you turn towards him. This we saw with the klalos, right, with the, the curses in the Torah, that the worst of it all was when we didn't turn to God to save us from them. That's when his face was hidden from us. And it's when we turn to him, then he will turn to us. So already that's then, logically, would be the klal of tveikas, of being close. you'll bow down. Hishtachavaya, what is, what is bowing down? When we say lehishtachavos, so... We know it from Aleinu, Anachnu Korim Umishtachavim, and we see it on Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur. It is bowing down with a spreading out of hands and feet. We actually don't do it all the way with our feet nowadays so much either, right? But it was actually lying like Panimartza, you see it described in the Torah. He bowed down with his face on the ground, like the whole self on the ground. But in this, con- in this context, it would be Hisbatlus Gemura Bifnei Havorzar completely subjugating oneself, completely negating oneself to the Avodah Zarah. And we see that it's a four-step process here. Pen levavchem, lest your heart be turned, or swayed, or seduced, or persuaded, or romanced. Hasara, that's the actual turn. So first it's the heart, then it's the actual turn. Avodos, avdos lelohim achirim. Start worshiping the other gods to the point of hishtachavaya, just f- <laughs> flat out negation of the self to the avodah And I do question, maybe we could learn from this in the opposite direction. It could be that this would teach us something about how to draw close to God, but I didn't see that anybody actually spells it out. It would be an interesting mini project to discover if we could learn something positive. It's a pretty depressing thought in the negative, <laughs> but we have to hear it. What are other gods? What does that mean? So in English, the word other kind of means, oh, and and I actually had somebody ask me this within the last year. They thought that the word other gods meant, incredibly, they thought that it meant, that Judaism recognized that there are other forces other than God, but you are forbidden to worship them. You should only worship God, and maybe even that he's the stronger one. I hope I was able to correct this misconception. (laughs) You hope. I was, I was rather blown away. <laughs> I, w- I was speechless for a while. Um, so Rashi, not wanting us to have this misconception. By the way, I saw, it would be interesting to pull it out now, but it's, it's a bit late to start pulling things out. Um, is, is anybody in a rush right now? Because I have like two other pieces, and it would be nice to finish. Are you, do you need to get back? Um. At some point, I'll need some time back, so. Okay. Um, so let me pull out the reverse because it was very interesting. He talks about what the word achar, achar means. Because it's not exactly the same as in English when we say other. For example, achare means after, afterward, right? And to look achara means to look backward. So let me see if I can find it quickly. Because it came up in Lech Lecha, right? The wife of Lot looks backward. And 
There's also an Achar Hadvarim Ha'ela. I'm trying to remember what he said it on. It was after these things. Here we go. Wow, I flagged it. <laughs> Amazing. That's a... Hashem has wondrous ways. That's <laughs> really something. Okay. Achar Hadvarim Ha'ela. Hayadvar Hashem El Avram B'machazel Imor. Altira Avram Anochi Mogin Lach. This is embracious Parshas Lechlacha Tesvav Pasagalif. And it was after these things that the word of God came unto Avram in a vision, saying, Do not fear, Avram, I am your shield, and your sachar is exceedingly great. Okay, so Rav Hirsch, Achar means both after and the other. The other presupposes something is proceeding. The first is the panim, panim, the face. The achar is the reverse of the face, so what we call like the obverse and the, what is it, the reverse? Is that what they call it on a coin? Is the, I think the, sorry? Tails. Tails. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay, so panim is forward and achar is the back meaning the opposite of whatever is the front. Mm -hmm. So the periods introduced by achar are, as it were, the reverse of what happened before. Achar hadvarim ha'ela, after those things, now it's reversing. Now it's going the other way. So in the case of Avram, until now, the way of Avram's life was a continuously upward one. We mentioned this. And now he's going to have the reverse side of fortune, the hard school of suffering. Right, we mentioned this, and that's why Hashem introduced it by saying, don't be afraid, which was, that's a scary way to have God talk, even though it's reassuring at the same time, right? Don't worry. Ah! <laughs> that means there's something to worry about. It's the opposite. It's the backside of it. Okay, so what, how does this help us here? Elohim achirim, other gods. See, it doesn't mean other. It means, like, backward, turned away from. Okay, so Elohim means powers. We know that from learning about the word Elohim. Achirim means we've turned backward. So if one way would be facing God and recognizing him as the source of power, serving Elohim Achirim would mean turning. You understand why it comes after Visartem. You turned around. Vavartem Elohim Achirim. Now that's worshiping other backwards. It's backwards worship. Let's call it that. A backwards worship. Right. So be careful your heart is not swayed, because if you turn around, it will come out that you are serving Elohim Acherim, backwards. Now, why am I saying it this way? Because let's, let's not talk about the big, scary idol worship. Let's talk about where we're holding, let's say, now. Turning away means I'm serving another power. And this is rem very reminiscent of Rabbeinu Bachya in Parsha's Ekev, which is the same Parsha, uh, but he says it on a different verse, of Ve'ochalta ve'savata, you shall eat and be satisfied. And this is the positive side. Uve'rachta sashem lokecha, right? So there's two directions it can go. We have Ve'ochalta ve'savata, uve'rachta sashem lokecha, and we have Ve'ochalta ve'savata, hishamru lochem penivta levavchem. There's two directions. You can go towards uve'rachta sashem lokecha, when you're satisfied, and you can go towards 
serving other gods when you're satisfied. And you can turn this way or that way, and they are two sides of a coin. And therefore, you're either facing one way or the other. It's not like, well, I'm in pretty close in the right direction. The Torah is telling us if you turn away, you are serving other gods or other forces or recognizing them. So how does that look? So I think that what Rabbeinu Bachia says over there helps us stand, understand over here. Okay, what he says is, wait a minute. If we, uve Hashem bless Hashem, we thank Hashem, praise Hashem, whatever it is, all day and all night, what did God gain from it? So we're not doing it for him, in other words. It's not for God's benefit, so to speak, although later he goes on into a more Kabbalistic-like approach that Hashem desires it, so... Whatever that means. But let's, we're still in the Peshat zone, more or less, or Drash maybe. Okay. What does Hashem gain if we're going to daunt him and thank him all day and all night for all that he does for us? Ki'imelenu. The benefit, the purpose, is not for him, it's for us. One who blesses God for that which he enjoys, made, is testifying to hashkacha, to God's individual providence and guidance and supervision. Meaning, it's a testimony. I see that I have food. God gave me the food. <coughs> and speaking that out, praising God for it, is speaking out and testifying to that which God has done for you. Shehu Yisaleh, that he, who is so elevated, hamamzi mazon lashvelen, who creates who, who causes to exist nourishment and food for those who are so low, in order that they should live, in their merit, the produce and the fruits are blessed and they increase. One who enjoys the produce of the fields, of the trees, and does not bless Hashem, so he takes something that's a famous chazal, that, and we mentioned this in Parsha's Ekev, which is whoever benefits from this world without a blessing, it's as if he steals, not as if, it says he steals from God and from the Jewish people. So Rabbeinu Bachye gave an explanatory word. He steals from God hashkacha, his supervision, his, his personal guidance and control. God put food on your plate. And when you don't say thank you for the food and recognize it's straight from him, what you've stolen is, is essentially the credit for it. You could have testified. When you were eating that food, it could have been testimony to God's control over the world. And you held that back. Ooh, that's very interesting. I didn't catch this the first time around because it was a different con. Ooh, Moser hands over, this is the word resartem. Mm -hmm. I did not see that earlier. Moser, he turns, he hands over, gives over, hanhagas hashfelim lakochavim umazalos. The control over the lower worlds 
to the stars and the mazels, meaning to lower forces, Elohim Acher. This is exactly, he didn't happen to mention it, but this explains why you have two verses that are so similar and yet so opposite. They're telling you the two sides. There's two directions. When you eat, when you enjoy something, you can be testifying to God as the provisioner of the world who gives every creature all that he requires. But if you don't do that, you are implicitly saying that control over the world is given over to the rain, the weather, the seasons, the astrological forces, the astronomical forces. He steals from God that element of supervision, and he steals from all the Jewish people the fruit. Because now the blessing doesn't get turned back into blessing. You didn't, you didn't send up, we talked about this in his explanation of with the rain, the rain cycle, and how what's supposed to be, when it, how does a human being show that Hashem is king? Uh, how does a human being show that Hashem provides for everybody? Did I talk about this in this year? I did, right? <laughs> I know I said it yesterday. How do we show that? So with animals, you look at them and you see. They go out, they hunt. A cat hunts a mouse. And you see that God provided for it what it needed and the knowledge of how to get it. With people, that comes from, I need, I ask Hashem for it. Hashem takes the prayer, Rav Shwab said, and sends that prayer back down. That is the bracha. The bracha we say is the bracha that comes back as the rain or as the produce. So you're stealing from all the other people around you as well because that bracha now hasn't happened. And because of this sin, there is a reduction in the crops and in the food. And then he actually quotes uh, a Gemara, which is brought over here about the question of when it, how that switch from the, the, the public community to the individual. Okay. I think we'll stop here, and we'll finish this Pasuk in Mitzvah next week, and move on to the next one. <laughs>